Welcome to Everything In Between, the podcast where a dad and daughter duo delve deep into topics ranging from true crime to paranormal occurrences to urban legends and, well, everything in between. I'm Emma. I'm the dad. That's Anish. And uh, this week, we are not only recording in Maine, but we're, we're recording in front of the fire and we're recording without any mic stands. So we're just sort of like chilling on the couch, holding our mics so well you're in my rocking chair yes i am in the rocking chair it's a nice rocking chair i'm kind of far away from my notes but i think that's fine (laughs) no i'm gonna sit here on the couch just kind of lay back and yeah you got the football game in front of you that's what i need well you have a seltzer that can be your substitute (laughs) um yeah it's kind of a chill weekend i just finished semester one of my senior year of high school so i had no homework this weekend so it's just been a relaxation time um and now that mom's back we can watch more things uh we started i mean we watched troop zero on amazon prime just like last night i think it was last night yeah i'm pretty sure yeah which was really nice it was really good um and it was just really funny. It was, <laughs> it's it's well done. I really like uh, Hell No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's one of the characters that's just so good. Um, it's like sort of like a coming of age uh, film that takes place in like Georgia. And this little girl who's like obsessed with space um, uh, like creates her own sort of ragtag uh, Girl Scout troop so that she can compete and like get her voice sent into space. Stuff like that. Uh, and it's set in the 70s? Yeah, it's 70, I think 77, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, I don't want to say it's a true story, but they did record a gold record to send into space yes. to, for alien life to hear. Yeah. So all that's going to drive. No idea if they actually had some type of competition like this, but. I don't but know, yeah, but, but it was, was very sweet. It was, And yeah. uh, Viola Davis was in it. Yeah. Uh, she was really good. I liked her hair. <laughs> it was nice. Um yeah, it was a good yeah, All movie. the kids were great. Oh, yeah. They had such great chemistry with yeah. each other. And it was very funny. Um, yeah, and then we watched uh, the new Nature David Attenborough documentary, like Planet Earth type thing called uh, Seven, Wor- Seven Worlds, One Planet. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, and it's about like the different continents. And they did Australia first, which was really interesting. The spider bit is my favorite, <laughs> I think. And I hate spiders, but that... It was so funny. The mating dance and everything. Definitely watch it if you haven't. Well, um, and then there was that cool... There's this part with sharks. Oh, yeah. And how they are... Uh, they act a bit like dolphins, sort of. Well, yeah. And just the school of fish. But when they show the, the aerial... aerial image. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. It's, in, it's crazy. It's just... It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely watch it. Especially for the soothing tones of David Attenborough's voice. It's just heavenly <laughs> the wombats were cool oh the wombats yes everything about it the tasmanian the devil yes, yeah, everything yeah, no, it, was cool. it was really cool everything um yeah definitely check it out and i think it's on saturdays uh at like at nine uh, on BBC yeah. America. yeah 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 so yeah. check that out and today we're recording on a sunday and today was supposed to be another episode of doctor who which we missed <laughs> but we'll watch it when we get back home 
and um, what else? Oh, yes. On Friday, uh, the second season of Sex Education came out. And, I mean, since Friday was, like, the last day of semester one, like, we weren't doing anything. So all day long, I just binged uh, Sex Education. And it was, it's, I have so many emotions. I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's very eventful. And it's very good. It's hard to live up to the first season. Um, but it, it almost gets there, I feel like. There's a couple moments that I were that I was not really happy with, but I think that it you get to learn a lot more about the characters. Uh, this one character, Amy, you get like a whole like another storyline with her that I really liked. And it's not just like comedy and like crude humor. It's very um, it, like you you learn a lot uh, and it actually teaches some really important lessons, which I really liked. But um, definitely check it out if you haven't. I really liked it. And I don't know if you've watched any of it. I have, no, I have not. But it's good. And even um, I make a point to not watch anything with Asa Butterfield in it because I hate his acting. But he's good in this. He's really <laughs> good in this. So I don't know if it was just a role that was just for him. But he's good in this. So. That's cool. Good. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Um, I think that was what we had for film, right? We didn't watch that much else. No, I don't think so. I think... Well, no, you started watching that one anime. Oh, yes. To, uh, that uh, Marcus yeah. uh, recommended called The Promised Neverland. Yeah, yeah. That's really good, which I'm not really an anime person, but I like it. No, it's good. I think I, it's very interesting. Yeah. I like the plot and the, the twists. And I mean, there's a character named Emma, so, you know, that. <laughs> I had no idea what to expect, even from the mm-hmm. synopsis. I didn't understand what was going on. And then in that first episode, when... Oh, yeah. Then it there's just, just that... The ending cl- is so... Yeah, that scene where it just turns the tables. You know there's something weird going on, but when you find out what, yeah, you're like, then you're ooh, like, oh, now I'm invested. Now I have to keep watching, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's it. We can go into Liverpool then? Because I know you have big news. It was... One of those games where <laughs> I think we had talked about this at l- last week, but we, we played Man United today, and it was at home, and um, we we won. I'm just going to flat out right there. We oh, went yes. 2 nothing, but um, again, we never make anything easy. We just try to uh, make it painful for everyone who's watching. <laughs> we should have been up 3 nothing, or at least 2 nothing at the half. We had two goals disallowed. One, I think, was could have been a goal the second was definitely offside but you know we just didn't put the chances away then the start of the second half in the first i don't know five to ten minutes we could have put another three away and just this could have been done and dusted and we could have just basically sang all the rest of the game um and probably played some players that could get some more time like uh, minamino could have played all these other things but no of course not we just had to make it difficult and then um, you know, United had chances, but I mean, we did not, we dominated and, and we deserved all three points. And like I said, the, the, the score line at the end to nothing makes it seem closer than it was. It wasn't. <laughs> um, but the last goal, um, in extra time with a minute left, a unbelievable, uh, assist from Becker, the keeper who just pinged a ball on a rope to Salah, who was alone, <laughs> and then it was a foot race between United's uh, fastest player, this guy, uh, I think his name's David James, was trying to run him down, and you could just see Salah is a monster, and he's just <laughs> holding him back and dribbling at the same time, and then puts the you know ball on the back of the net, and 
the stadium erupted. I mean, I think I screamed louder than I've screamed in a oh, while. Oh, it was very loud. But, very um, loud. I, I can promise you that. But hey, that's now we've played 22 games, I believe. Or did we play 23? Oh my God, I'm, I'm losing count. Um, I think we're... Oh, no, no. We're... Uh, yeah, 22 games. And we are at this moment... Um, We've won, we've gotten 64 points <laughs> out of 66 with a game in hand. Yes. We are now 16 points in the lead <laughs> above City. And like I said, game in hand. So if we win that game, we could be 19 points up. Um, another tough game, though, coming on yes. Thursday against Wolves. But uh, like, I, I don't know, I don't know. This is a <laughs> an incredible season. I can't, I'm. I know people are saying, no, it's over, it's done, and all these other things. There's only 16 games left for them. and um, But, uh, I, no, we're, we, till we lift that trophy, I won't believe it. But <laughs> I, am, I am happy. And, yes, it's no longer early days. We are now past the halfway point officially. 16 games left. We Dusk are, days? Is that where we are? I think I said it was March when you could say, all right, you know, something. Well, you said April when were the end days. Right. That's the end. But I think March is when you're kind of like, okay, you know, it's it's really <laughs> kind of thing. It could be February. If we can win on Thursday um, and then that next game in half, if we finish this month undefeated for Premier League games, yeah, then it's over. It's over. All right. Yeah, well, so. I think that's all we have to discuss for now. Yeah. Um, I've got a nice true crime uh, for us, so I guess. All right, I have it in, in between. All right, let's let's hear it. So of course, had to uh, highlight my sources again. <laughs> Make sure I say them. Fair enough. Uh, so I used Wikipedia. Not that much. I didn't really have much on this. Uh, I used Boredom Therapy, uh, BBC, Inside Edition, Life Daily, Inside Mystery, The Washington Post, and Dallas News. Um, so, I mean, it takes place in Texas, but we start in California. So, uh, Angela Marie Samoda was born on September 19th, 1964 in Alameda, California. Anything? No. No? Okay, you're Not in yet. for a treat. All right, keep going. Um... So not much is really known about her childhood, uh, but she attended college at the Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas for computer science and electrical engineering. What's her name again? Uh, Angela Samoda. No, no. Nothing? Okay. Um, now jumping ahead a little bit. I mean, she's in college, but on October 12th, 1984, when Angela was 20, she and two friends went to the State Fair of Texas near their college. Uh, Angela's boyfriend did not come with them as uh, he was working in construction and he had to get up early the next morning, so he was just at home. Um, the friends celebrated and danced at the Rio Room Dance Club uh, until roughly one in the morning and then left to go home. Uh, Angela first drove each of her friends home. It was um, a woman and a man that were her friends. Um, and then she went to her boyfriend's apartment to say goodnight to him. And once she had, she drove home. Okay. Uh, soon after she had arrived, police got a call from Angela's boyfriend. According to him, uh, the two, he and, he and Angela, uh, had been on the phone with each other when Angela's phone was suddenly disconnected. Okay. 
He told police that she'd called him almost immediately after uh, arriving home. Um, as he picked up the phone, she'd just say, talk to me. Okay. Uh, when she got disconnected, he'd driven to her place and knocked, but got no response. He tried entering, but the door was locked, and um, he happened to have a mobile phone in his truck, so he used that to call police. Okay. Because it's 1984. <laughs> um, so, police showed up to Angela's place to check up on her, uh, and the apartment manager let them in. Uh, they noticed that Angela's Toyota Supra was still parked outside her apartment, um, but they couldn't detect any movement inside. So, if she was gone, she didn't use her car. All right. So they got the keys from the apartment manager and they went into Angela's room. Uh, and what they found was her body lying on the bed naked. She'd been raped and then repeatedly stabbed. And her cause of death was listed as stab wounds to her heart. Ugh. Her heart was actually almost completely removed. Um, and you mean like stabbed around her heart? Well, it was like they said it was so gruesome that like when they walked in, her heart was, like, lying on her chest. So the, the amount of stabbing cut it open. Yeah. So it had to go through the ribs. Yeah, I think so. Oh, my God. Yeah, and they said that it looked like they had tried to, like, rip it out of her, but then it was just, like, sitting on her chest. Okay. All right. So uh, officers found a stuffed rabbit next to her body. The animal, like, like yeah, a stuffed, yeah, yeah. No, no. stuffed animal, not, a, not an yeah, actual yeah. real one. <laughs> um, and, uh, quote, from that day to this one, I could close my eyes and see Angela, one of the officers who found her body, said. I remember seeing her blue eyes, and that's the scene I've seen since. Oh, man. So, very, very gruesome. Um, so, police were able to piece together that um, whoever the killer was must have, like, knocked on her door uh, and, like, asked to, like, use her bathroom or her phone or something uh, so that he could get in. So, no forced she... entrance, just... No. Okay. Um, and when she let the killer in, she, they thought that she must have like gone to the phone and called up her boyfriend and been like, talk to me like, so that the killer, uh, whoever this person was wouldn't like. Right. So just to say, yeah. Okay. That yeah. I have, you know, I have an out. Yeah. Like, um, right. if you do anything to me, like I have a witness. Kind right. Of thing. Right. It's just to keep herself like secure and safe. Um, the autopsy showed that the murder and the rape happened very close together. Um, Angela's body didn't break down the sperm, so that's really how they knew that. Um, and this is really interesting, uh, especially that they can, like, find this, but they found that Angela didn't sit up or stand up after the sexual assault. Oh, so... So, I guess she was know. assaulted and then immediately they just, like, stabbed. Or was she dead? Well, I think they were saying that... Well, they said it happened close together, so I don't know if it was before or after. Uh, okay. I think it was before All that right. she was killed. I'm not dwelling on this, so... Okay. Right. Uh, so the two main suspects in the case were Angela's boyfriend and one of her friends. Uh, the friend was a 23 year old architect and he was the one that had been out with her dancing and stuff, um, until 1am before, like at the fair. Uh, and his name was Russell. Oh God. Oh, I didn't look this up. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, but, Spell it. uh, it's like Butch and book and then Buck. Buchanan? Buchanan. Okay. <laughs> I've never had to say it out loud before. Um, but can't. I'll just be calling him Russell. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so police pulled in one of Angela's college friends, uh, Sheila Wysocki, for questioning. Okay. 
while talking to her, they showed her the crime scene photos. Uh, according to Sheila, quote, they had pictures. There's one I remember of Angie on the bed. There wait, was... wait, they're showing all, like the gruesome... Yeah. They showed her the pictures. But what... Okay. Because um, they wanted her help with the investigation, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but why... I'm I don't trying know to think why. why I have to see the body. I don't know. All right. Maybe like in case there's like clues in the background that she would recognize. Yeah, blur it out. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, there's one I remember of Angie on the bed. There was blood everywhere and her eyes were open. Oh. To this day, I still remember how horrible it was. It okay. was quite traumatic. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not not good. Uh, so the police asked Sheila to have dinner with the architect, with Russell, um, so that they could see if his story matched up, the one that they'd given him. So she's got a wire. Um, yeah. I don't think... I don't know if they... Gave, I, I don't know if she just wrote it down. I'm assuming they probably just gave her a wire. All right. I don't know exactly. Um, so they told her that they believed that he'd done it. And so she took it as like for certain, like this guy is the one who did it. So when she went to have dinner with him, she just kept thinking like, this is the murderer. This is the one who killed Angie, like in her head. <laughs> I'm thinking she willingly then thinking if this is the guy who just, and she saw the picture, she's like, yeah, let's now we'll have dinner. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so he basically just told her the same thing that he told police, um, it didn't seem like suspicious at all. All right. Um, and so what he said was that he had traveled to Houston later that weekend and he had not heard about the murder until returning to Dallas, which isn't technically like an alibi, but like that was basically what he told police. Um, so this interview was not enough uh, to deter police from suspecting him. Uh, he kept getting like pulled in for lie detector tests and he was interviewed multiple times um, and like they didn't really get anything solid but they just kept bringing him in um sheila said quote so th- wait so they never asked him to um submit a dna test uh not that i know of okay um so sheila says quote then i was told that russell had stopped cooperating and that he had lawyered up Back in Texas in the 80s, there was this real famous attorney called Richard Racehorse Haynes. And if you got Racehorse Haynes, by God, you were guilty. I was told that Russell got Racehorse Haynes, so of course he's guilty. But there was no physical evidence that they could put on him, and he was not charged. So this is all like building up like the public's view of him being guilty, pretty much. Okay. Um, so after like all of this went down... Um, Sheila found it, like, too difficult to concentrate on school and dropped out. Um, And she sort of uh, was saying that, like, everywhere she looked, she was like, could that be the killer? Could that be the killer? Could that be the killer? And she just couldn't, like, be around those people anymore. So uh, she dropped out. Okay. Uh, So she moved to Tennessee and started a family, uh, but she could never keep the case out of her head. Uh, meanwhile, police were having trouble finding any concrete evidence, and the case went cold. Uh, and this happened just six weeks after the murder. It went cold. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so you, they, they had put all their eggs in The Russell. Russell's basket, Okay. Yeah. Um, so the case quickly faded from the police radar, uh, but one person was not ready to give up. Sheila Wysocki, Angela's friend in room. Right, 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 right. Uh, So Sheila and Angela were pretty much polar opposites. Uh, They were paired together for freshman year as roommates uh, and quickly became friends, even though Angela was more of like an outgoing party type and Sheila preferred to like stay home. Like she didn't drink. She was just at home. Right, right, right. 
uh sheila was also a psychology major and angie was in uh like computer science and all that okay so um fast forward to 2004 all right uh sheila is alone in her room reading passages in the book of daniel for a bible study when angela appears to her in a vision uh huh don't it's it's, Uh, okay this is good this is good all right this was a sign she thought quote and i knew it was time okay sheila was determined to find out what happened to her friend and she badgered the police uh continually to reopen angela's case and look for more evidence in the end, she called the police over 750 times. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so she was met with a lot of resistance. Um, and cops even told her that, quote, some cases aren't meant to be solved. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Sheila decided to take matters into her own hands. She started doing research, uh, quote, printing out reports about all the rapes that had happened during that period, the locations, and who was arrested to try to figure out what had happened. Uh, Around this time, she was complaining about police inaction to the head of security at her, like, gated community when he told her, quote, you know, you'd make a great private investigator. (laughs) Um, Without hesitation, Sheila went and got her private investigator's license. Uh, and so she started working on, like, minor cases, like cheating and just small stuff like that, just to gain experience and slowly worked her way up um, to Angela's case. Okay. Um, as this is happening a few months later, police finally listened to Sheila and assigned police detective Linda Crum to Angela's case. Okay. So now it's 2006, and Crum submitted DNA evidence from the blood, semen, and fingernail samples to be tested. In 2006, All right, this is so, happening. Okay, but they, so they had never tested, they didn't they test. They had not tested right, them. Okay. I mean, DNA evidence wasn't as strong back in That's 84, but true. they okay. had the rape kit. Police, police claimed that the rape kit they'd collected from Angela's crime scene was lost in some Dallas flood. There were like 20 between 1984 and 2005, so I don't know which one. Um, okay. So they... They said they didn't have it, but they did have it, and then they sent it away for testing. That was in 2006. In 2008, they had a hit, um, but it was not Russell. Okay. Donald Bess, an inmate who'd been on parole from a 25-year sentence at the time of Angela's murder, matched the DNA evidence. Okay. Uh, Donald, at the time of the DNA match, had been given life in prison for a different crime, uh, and Sheila referred to him as the Beast in an interview with the BBC. All right. Uh, so with the DNA evidence, they were able to charge Bess. Um, and the trial was held in 2010. And of course, during this time, Donald was serving um, his life sentence, like I was saying. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit about Donald. He was born in 1948 in Arkansas. Um, and he had already been convicted for aggravated sexual assault and aggravated kidnapping in 1978. Okay. Um, so that was the crime that he was given 25 years for. But he, he never, um, well, wait. What? Wait, he, the 78 rape, when did he get convicted? He was convicted in 1978. And then he was put on parole around like 1984. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. My, I missed that part. Okay. And was it, was there, was there, did he physically like um, stab or I do I don't know else? exactly if he like harmed by in other ways than just like okay. rape okay. but um but the person survived 
Yes. All right. All right. Um, so after Angela's murder, he was sentenced to life in prison for an unrelated count of aggravated rape, a count of aggravated kidnapping, and a count of uh, sexual assault. But didn't... But didn't kill them. Or do anything... Not that I know of. Okay. Um, so Angela seemed to be like the only person he killed. Okay. So uh, during the trial, uh, multiple other women testified to being raped by Donald. Uh, his ex-wife testified that he'd abused her and their child during their marriage. Um, and they divorced like years before Angela's murder. Um, so he was definitely violent. So maybe he was like beating the other women. I don't know exactly how that all went down, but very violent. Um, so Donald was found guilty and on June 8th, 2010, he was sentenced to death. Did he, did he, he never confessed, he didn't say anything about it, he, ne- he, he pleaded not guilty, or did he? Um, I think he pleaded not guilty. I'm trying um, to understand why he was, he stabbed her. I, I'm, I don't know exactly why he got so violent, why he actually killed her. Okay. Because the other people he hadn't killed, and it yeah. doesn't seem like he'd done that to anybody else. Um, I think that they suspected him of another murder of a young woman, but it was never proven. All right. Um, but so Donald is still on death row, uh, and he currently resides at Polonsky prison with no execution date set. Um, Angela was buried in the Llano Cemetery in Amarillo, Texas. Okay. Um, a poem she wrote is etched on her grave entitled Through the Children's Eyes. Um, and it's actually kind of sweet and really sad, um, but you can like find it online. Uh, Sheila Wysocki now lives in Tennessee still uh, and still works as a PI. Uh, she expected to retire after solving Angela's case, but then like lots of people started contacting her, like desperate people asking her to help them with like their cases and their right. family members. And she was like, okay, I'm going to keep going. Hmm. Good for her. Yeah. So she now owns her own firm called uh, Without Warning Private Investigation. Uh, so she really like That's is cool. the reason yeah. that this case got solved. Uh, she just didn't give up, uh, and she's the reason that this guy is now. I mean, he was already behind bars, right? But, but like, you know, she got justice. Justice, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was so so inspiring. Like, after like your one of your best friends dies, like going out getting your private investigation like license, like, oh, she's just so cool. Yeah, that's I yeah. Um, I went. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, but. and this never would have been solved without her. Like. That well, I mean, if they never would have been tested. Well, again, it seemed like they just chalked it off. Like, well, you know, we thought it was this guy. We can't prove it. We're just going to... Oh, well. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty lame, actually. Yeah, really sad. Um, but thanks to her, the case has been solved. All right. So cool. that's the story of that's, Angela Simone. I mean, it's a happy ending in a way, but bittersweet. It is, yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> way to go. Thank you. All right, I'm just trying to get comfortable here. Like I'm on the couch. <laughs> this is this is weird. I, I mean, yeah, I, no the, mic stand, just sort of chilling. I know I don't mind it, but I have to say the uh, holding of the mic. If you, if our voices go in and out, it's because yeah, I keep like <laughs> yeah, we moving it away by accident. And if you hate, we this, should get the overhead ones so no, we can I just sort of yeah, sit I'm all, here. I'm all for that, but um, it's just weird to get the right position and <laughs> comfortable. Comfortable. Yeah, this but. is about us, not you. So. <laughs> Um, it's as, as long as we're comfortable, you don't have, have to hear what we're saying. <laughs> Honestly, this this is very, uh, you know, cash beyond. Cash. It feels like sort of a campfire stories thing. It does. It's just you know, yeah. Oh, but if only you guys were here. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
actually it's interesting though because my story is it's an it's an in between but um a lot of it and why i picked it had to do with being up here in maine and just the events of the last couple days so um we're here for the long you know mlk weekend i mean i meant this it'll be about the snow that's not oh i was trying to think of like what happened this weekend we didn't even leave the house which was lame we were gonna go skiing but it got it was so frigid cold and um, we could have gone, but yeah. I also woke up late. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> Not just you, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Whoops. But uh, but when we came up to Maine, we kind of were welcome to a nice winter winter winterland, right? I mean, yeah, it was, it was like so snowy. And yeah, nice. uh, we I think we had we had hit, or we had two storms. So the one came the day before we came up on Friday. Yeah. Um, and then there was one that just last night, which was awesome, and it mm-hmm. was um. I think between the t- both storms, we probably got somewhere between, I don't know, a foot to maybe 16 inches. Um, yeah. And it's all powder. So that was the key. <laughs> so shoveling um, was easy. So I was very happy and about Willow, that. And Willow, our dog, really liked it too. She and, had fun. Oh, she did. Prancing she got to play. Around. She did. She definitely got to play. Um, so, you know, when you think of, you know, that kind of snow and that kind of thing. Um, the Yeti. <laughs> No, <laughs> you're not talking about the Yeti. No, I'm not. I was Dad, just thinking more we about have one job. That when you have, there's something just about that's peaceful about it, right? Like, I mean, when we are when you're driving, sometimes at night, I love when it's snowing. Oh and yeah, you're driving and it's like at in night. front of the headlights. Yeah, and it looks like you're in space because it's a star yeah. flying by and everything like that. Um, but you know, snow aliens. Is that what this is about? <laughs> kind of. Oh. But where where we are, it's pretty quiet, right? So when you when you have the ability to just kind of watch it snow it's very peaceful it's very calming it's it's you and know it's like silent yeah and it's like meditating absorbing all the sound right because we have you know it's, it's not that we live out in the sticks and are you know <laughs> just by ourselves but it, we're surrounded enough by enough of the of the woods that we get some good you know wildlife and wildlife right we got we the got foxes, some foxes we got the bobcats we get yes. the the deer that you know, one the, bear the that bear, one time yeah but um but it's cool right and you know it's funny because like we're talking about to add to the whole ambiance is exactly where we are now. We have this fire going. You have the right beverage. You know, it's, well, it's, I don't because you wouldn't let me make tea. Well, it's late, so you're not doing that to keep yourself it's up. Decaf. And you know, and in our world, the, the to add to the snow and everything else, the fire and everything, we you know we watch a movie, and of course we'd watch like The Thing or The Shining <laughs> or something that had to do with winter. Um, but uh, this story, it's not about any of that. Oh. <laughs> Okay. It's actually, you know, quite the opposite when it comes to peaceful snow. Um, so why was this inspiring? <laughs> well, just because when we were, I just thought about storms and I was like, oh, I wonder if there's any good storm stories. <laughs> okay. And so this is an in-between. Doesn't every story start with, it was a dark and stormy night? Uh, yeah. And this <laughs> is that. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, oh boy. this is not about murder. I'm not talking about like a stalker kind. Like I said, it's an in-between Man type of thing. But this is this is all about horror, uh, and um, I, I'm just—I mean, when you hear it, I, I think if you ha- if you put yourself in the shoes of of these folks, you'll the be snow shoes. <laughs> funny, but um, it it it. it <laughs> I, I will leave it to the end, and then you can say what you think here about this. Oh, don't worry, I'll be saying it throughout. All right, well. Um, <laughs> This takes place in the plains, and it takes place in uh, the winter of 1888. Ooh. All right. So when I, when I mean like the plain states, I don't know if they were all states yet. Some of them may have been territories, like the Dakotas, 
um, Nebraska, Kansas, Minnesota, you know, Montana, Wyoming, all in that area. But the main part are like the Dakotas, Nebraska, Montana, and um, Minnesota had the brunt of this. All right. So, but there's others. Okay. And for sources, I actually I use that American Hauntings Inc. Ah, that you had mentioned, look and at it, that. that just kind of came up at, and when I was searching. Wikipedia had a good just you know breakdown. History.com. Oh had, yeah, has, I love that. So this, I mean, it took place a, a, little, a little over 130 years ago um, on the 125th anniversary. It was oh, a that's lot. Like when you were born, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's where I found all these other things. Uh, Mina, the Mina, uh, Minneapolis Post did a, a whole thing on the 125th anniversary. Huh. Um, but let's just, I'll just start with it all, okay? So in the Plain States, around this time, there had been a large expansion of settlers, you know, people coming out west. Mm-hmm. And what they usually did when they settled, they raised a church, you know, I mean, like raised in the sense of the whole community being involved, helping build it, yeah. everything barns because a lot of it was farmland so that's what they kind of thought all right we'll settle here we can we can basically the the ground's fertile um and as they did that around these areas to connect you know stagecoaches things like that the next level was railroads and partially because it was how do we move the commerce of the farms and things like that so Hmm. you know with that in mind Railroads come in, so then all of a sudden little towns pop up and population grows because for whatever reason, people are looking to, you know, for better lives. (laughs) Um, And it didn't take long for a lot of the settlers to realize that Mother Nature, uh, Mother Nature's winters were very harsh, right? But a lot of these settlers had, were Europeans from Scandinavia. I mean, they... Already harsh winters. Right, they, they could deal with it, but... But still, they realized that, okay, they understood farming, working around it, like a lot of where we are now and why school and all those other things are because yeah, of that. Yeah, the harvest. Right. Okay. So, again, they knew what they were getting into. Um, so, what ended up happening after that was because of their settling around, things like that, they had their barns, they had their um, churches, but they also needed schools, right? right. So, they started to building schools and in the beginning i think at least the way i read it was kids were either homeschooled or kids went to church for school but then over time they started to basically create their own and what they tried to do was how that with the harvest and everything they wanted to make sure that the kids were getting the right education and all these other things but again it was all around chores and all around the farms um and what would end up happening was that they try to put the the schools as centrally, or I shouldn't say so, equidistant to the farms around the area. Okay. So that way, you know, easier you were, commute. Right. So it may be a couple miles max to get to school That's by a walking. Long commute. You used to walk a mile, right? Yeah, but a couple miles is a lot of miles. Yeah, I mean, to walk. Well, people walk to the high school. That's a couple miles. Oh, I so, guess. You know, Still. I, I mean, I get it. It's 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 far, but it's not crazy. I mean, maybe it's a half an hour to walk, but yeah, you know, it's the old days, right? They walk uphill both ways, all that kind of stuff, <laughs> um, in the snow, which truly is with their snowshoes. Exactly. Um, so, what was also kind of interesting in this whole situation was that teachers for these schools mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. were just also kids too. Usually Whoa. the eldest children became the teachers. They weren't hiring teachers everywhere because... Um, it's not going to be a great education then. Well, I mean, you know, it's it, it, they're one, one-room schoolhouses. They're not... Right, you know, but that still. Kind of, and the other part that happened was... And, you know, with this kind of place or this kind of growth, um, with railroads as well, as railroads were getting, um, bringing things here and there, other towns started popping up, right? So all of a sudden you could have a pit stop somewhere in between these farms and these areas, and that became a town. And they also then would settle there and, you know, you'd have a little town and they would start to build schools. But those schools weren't really built with the best material because they were kind of built... Overnight, like that, literally yeah. overnight, with whatever was left for material yeah, things like that. Let's put our children in that building, right? But again, it's just one of these things where you, you sometimes you just ended up where you ended up because that's where the train stopped. Right? You know what I mean? So this is happening. Schools are being built, and um, you know, I don't think anyone is complaining. I think kids hated school as much then <laughs> as they do now, but you know, that's the world. It's these makeshift towns, makeshift buildings, makeshift, makeshift whatever. Schools, yeah. Right, yeah. So um, it is what it is. <laughs> On January 5th and 6th of 1888, the, that Upper Plains area was hit with, you know, a pretty big snowstorm. And, you know, okay, they're, they're ready. <laughs> they got it. They it right, went through it. Cool. And some places got feet of snow, like, I mean, maybe two to three um, drifts were kind of kind of crazy, but you know, it, they had to deal with it. And then the weirdest thing happened within a couple days. Oh, this huge um, warm front came from the Gulf of Mexico and from the Caribbean side of Mexico. So both, and mm-hmm. a, a swath of warm air came up and kind of dislodged this cold air and snow and everything like that, and it made it kind of warm. Um, and what was happening was it was kind of like this yo-yo effect. Cold air was trying to come down from Canada. Mm-hmm. This warm air is trying to come up. So it's kind of trying to settle. And, you know, it, it, think of it as, remember, this, we talk about this polar vortex. It happens every once in a while right. where you get like minus 20 degrees. Mm-hmm. So that then came back down and it made it really, really cold again um, for a couple of days after that mm-hmm. uh, uh, storm. And then the warmth won over again. Okay. So... By, um, I don't know, I think it's the 10th or 11th, the... Wait, what month is it? Still January. So okay. this is all like within that week. Um, you know, you have these temps dropping, things are freezing, um, but now it's getting warm. And some of the, the range of temps went from like 20 degrees to 40 degrees in flipping here and there. So with that happening, you know, kids are going to school in like t-shirts and things like that. So uh, with hats and mittens. So it was really funny. Some one student was talking about how basically that, you know, come the, the, I think it was January 11th. Um, they were like, Hey, spring has oh sprung, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I feel like I've heard of this, but I don't know where it's going. Okay. Well, what no one realized was that this dislodging and this yo-yo effect was just the precursor to, the storm of storms. Ooh. That vortex that had, you know, retreated to Canada mm-hmm. plunged downward south. Okay. So again, there's this warm front and 
with cold air and warm air trying to combine, what ends up happening is that, you know, hot air rises, so it goes above. But depending on the fight and how they push, that's how storms come together. And then precipitation and all these other things can affect, affect each, you know, or create a, a monster storm. Um, so on the early, in the early hours of January 12th, like after midnight, the two pressure fronts basically combined and caused the beginning of this deadly storm. It is said, and I don't know how people <laughs> had seen this, but some of the reports were that after midnight in the Dakotas, where it first came down, mm-hmm. there was a scene where people thought that it just was this wall was coming towards them. And um, it was a wall of clouds, snow, wind, freezing temperatures, but it was coming to the Dakotas, then to Montana, and then it was going to go into uh, Nebraska and Minnesota. So during the daylight hours, right? Mm-hmm. These, they were just overwhelmed. So the Dakotas were just watching this come through and they're just waking up to, you know. Like you can't even go outside. Yeah, it's crazy. It's complete, complete whiteout. Um, and it, it was marching its way east. Now, farmers, if they were lucky, uh, had brought in their livestock. If they weren't, they were out there. You know? <gasps> um, and... As it was going east, um, you know, it was basically going to hit two-thirds of Nebraska and and some part of the most western part of Minnesota um, in mid-afternoon, kind of, maybe late afternoon. And weather forecast existed at the time, but... They, you know, they didn't have the science that we have now, the, like Doppler radar and all these other things. And they, you know, the way forecasts were made were by the Army Corps of, uh, by the Army Corps. I think they're called the Army Signal Corps okay. were the ones who basically would report. And, you know, the way they did it was it was by, uh, you know, by telegraph or whatever it may be. And they did it to the major towns. So all these makeshift towns that were coming up in between weren't going to get these reports. Right. But the, what they used to do was by town, they would put on these flags to tell you what the weather was going to be. Ooh. So what was happening was, you know, you'd put up flags, certain point, and it would tell you what it was. But because of whiteout, you couldn't <gasps> even see the flags. So okay, even well, though you were miles did. away, you may not be able to see something because it was completely blocked, which in itself should tell you that something's coming. But still, yeah. you know. Now, what was really bad about this was that the Army Corps noticed the drop right they saw that there was this um the barometer the pressure was dropping mm-hmm. um winds were picking up but they had no idea what was really coming they just knew that there was this big cold cold front and they had realized because it was a cold front the week before right. that had come down in nebraska now kids were outside during recess <gasps> when the storm rolled in and here's a quote that i got i think this is from the american Um, Haunting Zinc. And I'm just going to quote it flat out from there. A student was quoted saying this. We were were out playing in our shirt sleeves without hats or mittens. Suddenly we looked up and saw something rolling toward us with great fury from the northwest, making a loud noise. It looked like a string of big bales of cotton, each one bound tightly with heavy cords of silver, and then all tied together with great silvery ropes. The broad front of these cotton bales looked to be about 25 feet high. Above them, it was perfectly clear. 
The phenomenon was so unusual that it scared us children, and several of us ran into the schoolhouse and screamed to the teacher to come out quickly and see what was happening. When the storm reached the schoolhouses a few minutes later, it hit with such a force that nearly moved all the school or the, or the buildings off their cobblestone foundations. Oh cobblestone foundations, to say. And the roar of the wind was indescribable. Another witness, a farmer, said that all of a sudden, I shouldn't say just one of the multiple witnesses said this, that they thought they heard this loud roar as if a train was coming right at them and they could feel the vibration in their gut. Another witness reported, and I quote, darkness fell. Darkness that might be felt. You could hardly see your hand before you or draw your breath and that with and that with the intense cold roaring wind. Wait, that doesn't even sound right. And that with the <laughs> intense cold roaring wind and go. darkness, it would appall the stoutest heart. Wow. As if a train again was coming in full tilt. Maybe it is a train. Ghost train. Well, when they looked outside, all they could see was a wall they believed of ice. So when they're talking about the bale of um of cotton. Of cotton they th- the way they thought it was moving was that it was actually a wall of ice and then the wind was coming against it, shearing the ice to create the snow in a powder form. So basically it was the sound of the wind hitting the ice, cutting the ice and creating you know oh this pulverizing ice into snow. All of a sudden towns were just enveloped in whiteout. I mean, it was, it was like watching, I mean, you haven't seen it, but the fog or whatever it is, just something rolling in and hitting one, you know, town by town. And anything that wasn't tied down, gone. The cows and the livestock. So remember these makeshift buildings? Yeah. Roofs come flying off. Walls collapsing amongst themselves. Doors fall, getting blown into. Um, And again, the biggest issue was that the children were still in school when this happened. Right. So, as I mentioned earlier, the majority of these teachers were children themselves. Right. Maybe 17, 18 years old. And they had to make a choice. Do they send the children home or do they wait out the storm? Some had a choice made for them when their schoolhouses were just gone. Ripped up. Exactly. Others had to make a decision when or had to, you know, make a decision in the sense that did they did they believe they had enough heating fuel? to make it through the night. So, one teacher, and I'm going to go through a couple stories. Okay. A Seymour H. Dopp of Pawnee City in Nebraska, he kept his 17 students in the schoolhouse overnight. The building had stayed warm. He had plenty of fuel. And the following morning, you know, worried parents actually made it through the snowdrift roads and, you know, Made it safe to the to the kids, found the hungry students, and basically sheltered them back to the storm, you know, back to their homes. Okay. That afternoon, Dop himself returned home to his uh, town. I think it's called, the town was called Table Rock, to <laughs> find that the teacher of that school in the community had made a different decision. His 11-year-old daughter, Avis, and her classmates had been released from school. No. Oh, Avis died. Nope. She made it home, oh, okay. but suffered... Um, frostbite and i believe she lost some fingers and she only had to walk one block home 
Now, here's another one. Minnie Mae Freeman. She was only in her teens. She was one of the many teachers who basically faced the problem. Do we freeze uh, in the uh, here or do we flee the storm? She had 16 students and some were as old as she was. Um, and her her town was called Ord, which was in um, Nebraska as well. The schoolhouse was made of sod. Oh, that seems like it would not hold up very well. Exactly. And the door was made of, was connected by leather hinges. Oh my God. And the roof was just tar paper with sod on top of that. Are you kidding me? So That's not going to last at all. Around noon, when the storm came in, it took the door right off its hinges, right. blew it to the back of the schoolroom. A couple of the, uh, the, the students tried to help her put it back up, but it just flew off again. Wow. Um, then they tried to nail it shut. And by that point, she was like, we don't have enough heating, you know, coal or anything to heat the schoolhouse. So we got to figure out how we're going to get out of here. So she decided that um, that they had to go because as the wind got worse and worse, it started ripping again the, the roof off sod. as well. Like, what oh, exactly. Yeah. So what she ended up doing was that a half mile away from there, she was boarding at a house and she figured, all right, well, we'll just make it. We'll just go there and we can just wait Nobody it out the storm. Nobody lived closer than that out of all of her students? Uh, apparently not. Oh, my um, God. And That's she thought that was time. the safest for them because at least they'd be, have heat, warmth, and can make it through the night. So oh. what she did was she took a rope and tied it to every kid. <gasps> and then they walked all the way through so she wouldn't lose anybody. And they made it. But again... Frostbite. Frostbite. It was just one of those things where... A lot they, of limbs right, lost. And they, I think, were fortunate enough that it was a straight shot to get to to that house. Or to that, yeah, that boarding home. Now, this other teacher, also named May, May Hunt, <laughs> um, she had seven children in her school. Um, and she did the best to try to keep everybody safe and warm. But she was running out of fuel. And she was running out of fuel fast. And... Same thing. She's like, we can't survive here. Only 140 yards away was a farmhouse. Oh, no. But they couldn't even see it. Oh, my God. They said they couldn't see in uh, um, three feet in front of themselves. Holy mother of God. So the snow drifts by this time already were five feet high and growing. And then the other problem was there was a ravine between. And she, I mean, they knew where that, like, the direction. Like where to go. But there was a ravine in between, and then so they would have to go over this bridge to get there, and they couldn't see any of that. So she ended up taking the eldest student of the class, this, his name was Fred Weeks, he was 18, to, um, well, actually, I think he volunteered to say, I'll go out and I'll find the path to the bridge, and then I'll come back and oh. I'll figure it out. So he goes out, and immediately he's already disoriented, right? And I think he lived on the other side, so it was he walked this way all the time so he just thought hey i should know because this is how i go uh, to and fro to school but when he started going out there lost his bearings but he remained calm and this is kind of amazing like he just said it he stopped he thought about it and he immediately kind of figured it out and he made it oh he moved God. in direction and what he ended up doing was walking back and forth back and forth to create a path so that everyone could follow him and he said that he could feel it almost as if pins were being um hitting him in the face and the eyes oh, and everything else oh and 
it was so cold that he was already starting to feel, or he couldn't feel his hands, and he was losing feeling in his feet. Oh, my God. So when he got back, of course, everybody was amazed, and because I, I think he was gone for at least five to ten minutes. Holy um, mother of God. And when he got back, he's like, okay, we got to go. I think I, I have the path. Just follow me. So as they start getting ready to go out, um, the youngest student in the in the schoolhouse she had come to school not wearing, you know, boots or anything like that because it was warm that day. So she had like, like I don't even know, cotton shoes or something. Oh, no. So they ended up like wrapping them up in socks for her to walk in. So they all held hands and they went about a hundred yards when everything had to get blown over again. Like the path was gone, and they were all exhausted already from just trying to tr- trudge through a hundred yards. And as they were trying to feel their way around, they, uh, um, Freddie hit a like a a bale of hay, uh-huh. a big one, and he was like, "Okay, we're close. We got to be close to the farmhouse," but they didn't know which way to go. So he ended up digging it out and building a cave within oh. the bale of hay, and of course the teachers screaming like they're trying to scream to get the the attention. Of that of the of farmhouse, the farmer, yeah. but it's so you windy can't you can't hear, hear a thing. It's like no. a train. So he ends up digging deeper, deeper, and getting it enough so that they could all huddle into the um, bale of bale hay. Of and then he decides to basically keep watch on the outside, trying to find people screaming. But he doesn't go outside; he's still inside of the of the bale of hay. And at one point, he goes outside because I can't hear the wind as much. It's around four in the morning and the sky is just clear. (gasps) Like nothing's there. And the snow is so high that it's blocking the exit out of the the thing, out of the bale. But he gets out and he makes his way to the farmhouse and he's banging on the door to tell him trying to get help for everybody. And they finally wake up and they come up. And so they go to get the... uh, kids and everybody else out of that uh their makeshift cave um so they're you know one by one they're looking at him getting him out trying to go through mm-hmm. and that girl Addie, <gasps> no she can't move oh my and God. they're like what the, and they can't realize what what was wrong well they found out that her feet got so wet <gasps> from walking through everything and the scarves soaked up everything she was frozen <gasps> from basically the calves down to her feet like Icicles. Oh my god! So somehow they got her out without like breaking her yeah, leg. Yeah, they would break it right exactly. off. Exactly, and they carried her back in to the farmhouse, and they tried everything, um, but she lost a foot, <gasps> and she lost all her toes on the other foot. So they had to amputate, I think, one leg, and you know, deal with the other. But they all the rest of those folks made it out alive. Okay, so okay. But maybe frostbite here and there. It's believed that over a thousand people were stranded due to this storm in those states. Wow. And it believed that the, again, these are witness accounts, but they said it took only three minutes for the wall of ice and snow to envelop town after town just coming through. It also, what they believe is that in that same three minutes, the temperature dropped 20 degrees and then continued to drop as the storm came through. By the dawn of January 13th, the aftermath was in full display. 
basically anything that was outside for longer than, I don't know, 30 minutes to maybe an hour was frozen solid. Oh, my God. The cows and the other livestock. Absolutely. No. It is believed that 235 people died. Oh, my God. With the majority of them being children (gasps) and teachers. Oh, my God. And more people died in the weeks to come due to illnesses and frostbite and, and all yeah, of that gangrene Amputations, all these things absolutely infections and all that oh my god livestock for hundreds of miles were found frozen to death as well oh, like solid poor. like to the point where i mean they no one said it but my understanding is like you're saying like things would break off for years afterwards at gatherings of any size in Dakota or Nebraska, there would always be people walking on wooden legs or holding fingerless hands behind their backs or hiding missing ears under their hats. Oh, my God. In the 1940s, a group of old-timers organized the Greater Nebraska Blizzard Club <laughs> to collect and organize survivor stories into a single volume. The editor of that book, a W.H. O'Gara, wrote in the preface that the club had a very hard time coming up with a word or phrase that would give some an inkling of the terror of that day of June 12th, 1888. June? Sorry, January 12th. My (laughs) mistake, sorry, of 1888. Eventually, they settled on this in all its fury. It is now considered the children's blizzard or the schoolhouse blizzard. And that, like, gave me chills. And that's the story. Oh, my God. Of one of the worst blizzards in the history oh. of, well, the states or territories of the, of the time. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just, like, the pins thing itself is just so... Yeah, there, there are so many more stories that were there. That I just couldn't take them all of teachers here and there. And right. every paper and every state had their own Definitely, piece, like, read but, the book, right? But there was a th- part where they were showing just, you know... I think there's some photographs, but there's just photographs of people in covered in a, you know, uh, a drift oh. and frozen solid, like, oh. you know, holding each other. It's almost like, you know, like Pompeii. Pompeii. Exactly. But, you know, like they the froze. The exact opposite death. of Pompeii since that was like a volcano. Yeah. Just... And that's it. That is crazy. I was not expecting <laughs> that. I was like, snow aliens? Where's like the, the cryptid coming do, in? Do you want to go walk Willow out right now? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's only minus eight here. <laughs> I think not. All right, let's get to the fun fact. All right, so again, I have three more fun facts from the fact site. Uh, so, number one. Uh, if you cut down a cactus in Arizona, you'll be given up to 25 years in jail. Really? Uh, yes. It's similar to cutting down a protected tree species. Hmm. So don't do that, guys. Uh, the Buddha uh, that is commonly depicted in statues and pictures is a different person entirely. The real Buddha was incredibly skinny because of self- self-deprivation. What? Really? Yes, apparently. Huh. So who was the model for the... Oh, I don't know. I didn't look up. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, but you can do your own research okay, later. <laughs> That's for you guys. I'm... I'm Starting you on like a really fun journey of learning and exploration and self-discovery. So you guys go look that up. Now, (laughs) uh, the last one is that in Colorado, USA, there is still an active volcano. It last erupted about the same time as the pyramids were being built in Egypt. 
and apparently it's still active. Huh. So, great Colorado. I, <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know that. that. So. And, yeah. and not in the Rockies, just somewhere in Colorado? Again, I just copy and paste okay, these fair and enough. I sorry, don't sorry. look any okay. further into okay. them. Okay. Um, but if you have your own fun facts, like, you know, the name With of With more this detail other, and... Okay. Sorry. <laughs> to be fair, they only give me like a sentence okay. and then right, I just fine, go with fine, that. Fine, okay. Fine. All right. Go ahead. Move on. Move on. Do okay. your thing. Well, if you want to send us your own fun facts or if you have suggestions for your own stories or you have experiences, like maybe you were caught in a really big blizzard, um, please tell us about them and email us at everythinginpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to read your story and maybe read it out on the podcast. I guess we'll see. Uh, you can also submit those to our website, which is www.everythingpodcast.weebly.com. Check it out. We've got lots of fun stuff on there. Um, and we are on social media. Our Instagram is at everythinginpodcast. Our Twitter is at between underscore podcast. And we have a Facebook group and page, both by the name of Everything In Between Podcast. Check those out when we post new episodes. If there's pictures that go along with them, they'll be there. Uh, so you can see that. You can see fun behind the scenes stuff um i don't think we we can see if we can take a picture of our current relaxed state um it might be a little bit dark but yeah, i keep recording i'll try to take a picture okay now. cool um so that may or may not be on there you'll have to check and see uh when this comes out so definitely go to our social medias uh if you're listening on a platform that allows you to do so please 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 rate review and subscribe it's really helpful and um just <laughs> you're really trying there it's a little dark i don't know if it's gonna work <laughs> i'll just take a picture of you and just leave it at that okay cool i'll do it from the behind the mic oh ho, ho, very special see look what you're missing all this art and entertainment so um please re review and subscribe i'm like losing my place i'm so distracted um and then lastly each week we uh pick a song that fits our stories as the title for our episodes uh and we have put that on spotify the playlist is called the soundtrack in between so once you're done listening to this episode on spotify if you're on spotify go listen to our playlist it's a great road trip playlist it's a great just sort of chillin playlist um a lot of good songs a lot of classic songs so check that out um it's almost 11 o'clock we're really recording very late right now and i'm now just sort of droning on until you take this picture <laughs> um but i think that's about it uh happy nothing really it's not a, gonna be a holiday when this comes out happy random day in january hey, it's still happy winter if you're getting yes. your skiing and if you have snow go for it yes. i mean do yes. it for us since we don't get to go <laughs> yeah because i wake up too late um, I think that's now it, and I think you've gotten your your close up. Your I shot. got some pictures, but I couldn't tell if your eyes were open or not. So that's okay. My eyes don't need to be open. Yeah, usually you're <laughs> sleeping anyway. Okay, Maybe. cool. All right. All right. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.